0: Hey, this is John Stamos, and when I'm not uh, doing anything, I mean nothing, when I have absolutely nothing to do, no work, no friends, no girls, nothing, then I'm listening to the Jukebox Graduate. But only if I'm doing, I mean, nothing.
1: Thank you John for that intro. Welcome to the Jukebox Graduate. I'm Eugene Edwards and I'm Dave Rayburn. Um so there's a so there's a reason why Stamos did the uh the intro. Um a couple of weeks ago we played at uh, in Athens, Georgia in at a place called oh, the cool. Georgia Theater. Wonderful place. And uh we we played there a f- f- couple of years ago uh, or maybe last year, I don't know. Um and after the show the actually our, our road manager told the guys in the band uh he says you know the the venue has has something for you after the show
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I don't know why we just thought he was being sarcastic I, I don't know why <laughs> we, I, we just it went you know in four ears and out the others sort of thing <laughs> and after the show uh we you know it changed back into our street clothes and, and we're upstairs in the in the green room and he he said okay you know the venue would now like to present you with something. That's like the phrase he'd use was present you with something. Huh? And they gave us, and we'll put the pictures up on our website. Um, we got medals. They gave us medals. <laughs> uh, and and they, we, so we bowed our heads ceremoniously and they, they put the medals around our neck. And uh, I know, and but when I looked down, I saw, it was a picture of one of the Olsen twins about age Uh-oh. three. And I thought, what? And I turned it over and it was, because it was a sold-out show, uh-huh. so it was a full house award, uh- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so of course I wore mine for the rest of the week. Right, you couldn't get me out of it, and uh, and and then and, and yeah, and a little later, I just thought there was just one person that came to mind, so I took took a picture of it and sent it to him mm-hmm. to say, you know, I I feel as though this is as much your award as it is as it is mine. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you, well, he. He said he was very proud of me, and he said I'd arrived, and then uh, he told me where I should wear it on my body. That part I really can't what? tell you. Yeah, because we, we run a clean show Because this is a family gig. It's here. a family gig. So uh, thank you, John, for the suggestion, and thank you for uh, helping with the show here. Um, and, uh, and so if you want to see a picture of, of the medal, okay. uh, you can go to our website, which is? www.thejukeboxgraduate.com. That's right. And then, what's our, how do you, how they find our playlist on before we get too involved in the show?
0: Well, uh, if you go to that web address that we just gave, www.thejukeboxgraduate.com, we always have each episode posted on there where you can listen through SoundCloud. I believe the link will also take you to iTunes if you want to go on there and subscribe to the show. But also on our website, on our blog page there, we've got uh, a brief overview of what each show is but then we have a very unique spotify playlist posted there for each episode um these playlists run several hours long but what i find (laughs) fascinating about them is that we try to include a track by every artist or song reference during each episode there's such a variety of material on there every time Mm because there's stuff coming from from eugene stuff coming from myself maybe from a guest and the, the the range is just incredible, and I love to actually listen to these playlists on shuffle on my drives to and from work because I've found that I'm not familiar with absolutely everything on these playlists, and I actually learn a few things and get to know some material that I otherwise wouldn't have because it's being randomly thrown in front of me, and it's all
1: tied in to an episode we just recorded. That's what's great about Spotify, or any of these, these uh, types of music services, is we have the ability to... Um, surprise ourselves as music listeners. Uh, uh, and, of course, for, for various reasons, um, you know, radio station, terrestrial station, and even satellite uh, station playlists can be rather niche. They're, they can get a little specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with something like, for example, Spotify, our playlist happens to usually jump out into various directions, yeah. which is kind of how radio used to be. We Or, you know, even MTV in the early days had a... Pretty wide array of, mm-hmm. of genres. Um, speaking of Spotify, though, it was funny. So we, when we taped our last podcast uh, with our guest Brian Whelan here, yeah. I brought up Bob Seger, and I don't know oh, if yeah. you'd mentioned that Seger wasn't on Spotify, right? Um, And then how many days later after we taped it? It was the day day we released the episode (laughs) was the day that
0: uh, Bob Seger agreed to make his music digitally streaming and available. So
1: I thought that was funny. (laughs) Uh, But also, uh, and on that last episode, though, you, I, I think you... Or Brian had mentioned how Seeger should be in the new Eagles lineup.
0: I suggested it. And then I saw that I was being slowly shot down that like, uh, yeah, he's not a harmony. That's a harmony group. You I think saying. I was. I, and you were right. I started pulling back at that point. But I was kind of clinging to that, that Detroit connection between Glenn and Bob. And then sure enough, at this East Coast, West Coast gig at Dodger Stadium, They bring out Bob Seger to sing Heartache Tonight. And he kills. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So so you got a little bit of what you asked for. Yeah, it's a little victory. (laughs) We'll take all those little victories uh, uh, as we can. Um, So uh, we're going to have winning lottery numbers at the end of this episode as well. (laughs) Now, on the same run where we played down in Athens, Georgia, um, uh, we ended that week playing in in Tupelo, Mississippi. And, of course, I uh, I took the opportunity to go visit Elvis' childhood home. This is where he was born, yeah. um, and I had never had the up. I just had never been to Tupelo, so uh, I'd always want to see it. I knew it was still there. Mm-hmm. They created a museum uh, around it, next to it, I should say. Uh, so I feel I'd it'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it in some level. Um, if you're a big Elvis fan, of course, it's already on your radar, uh, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as as much as Graceland would be, and I, you know, I uh, I didn't get to see Graceland until October of 2014. Uh, I had never really spent a lot of time in Memphis. I'd kind of either flown through there or, or played a show and kind of got there with a few hours to spare. Yeah. Um, so uh, this, the last time I was there, I, yeah, it was because it was we were on tour with Eric Church. And so uh, I crammed in quite a few museums. I got Sun Records in there. Mm, nice. Um, Did you get told- to Ardent. No, series. no, no, I didn't. Uh, that's That'll be the next one, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, having seen Graceland, which is which is very moving, obviously. Uh, oh, and when you get your headset, uh, when you go visit... I don't know if it's the same now, because it's been two and a half years now, but when you get your headset... Do they have little... sideburns? No. <laughs> 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 um, no, they... Uh, although, that's a good gag. That's not a bad idea. Um... You know the voice are you or you walk they give you like a little iPad I think with a headset yeah, yeah. as you walk through and uh and then it's uh it's narrated by John John Stamos. What? <laughs> so Beautiful. part of so he was in my head already yeah. because of the metal thing. And a few days later I went to visit the the childhood home in Tupelo and part of it was like he better not be there in some form because that's just you know, creepy. Uh but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh so uh yeah, I, I kinda I kind of went over there. The house wasn't that far from the venue where we were playing. We were playing at uh, Bancor Arena. Um, and it's a beautiful neighborhood, leafy. And, mm. and of course, uh, back in during the Depression, when Elvis was born, it, mm-hmm. uh, it looked quite different. Uh, and And it's a two-room. It's a small two-room house. Uh, and uh, it, it just tells you a lot to stand there and see it. Just it. It's really vital information, and and by the way, and Elvis was only there till about he was three years old or mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So it's not so much. I don't even know what Elvis himself would have remembered about the house, right? You know what I mean. But just to see the conditions and understand, yeah, at least understand uh, Gladys and Vernon, his parents, and what their lives were, and they brought it a child. started with. Right? Yeah, that's right. The
0: Tupelo home is something kind of special to me. I've never been there, mm-hmm. but my father. Uh, was born in Laurel, Mississippi, which is about 200 miles from Tupelo, about half the size of Tupelo. Oh. And my dad was about maybe three years older than Elvis. Uh-huh. So my dad's love for Elvis and knowing where he came from, I think he had a special love for Elvis, knowing that they were of the same time, of the same area, of the same conditions. And that's uh, that's something I've always wanted to do along with Graceland. It's the less um, flashy thing to to go visit but it's like you said it's history it's part of the story and um you know i've seen there's that one uh i think it's is it elvis country an album that came out in the early 70s that elvis did that there's a whole bunch of photos of uh of elvis with his parents when he was just a little kid sitting on their lap they had some studio photos done photos of them i believe around that house as well yeah
1: the one where elvis it's the first picture of him really so he's got that hat Yeah, yeah yeah so, of, of course, if it's if, if you're a big Elvis fan, then you probably already visited it or you plan on visiting it. Um, I'm just to those of you, if you find yourself in that general area, take a trip over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, the people were very sweet there. You go inside the little house and there was, there was a lady um, that was in there. She's available to answer any of your questions. They let you take as many pictures as you want. Oh, cool! Or as they say in Mississippi, you can make as many pictures as you'd like. Oh. They make pictures. You don't take them, you make them. I, I love that. I love the colloquialism. I, I think that you can go into a different region and still hear specific syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's it's comforting as the world becomes more global when you yeah, hear people yeah. say something that's very specific to the region. They didn't say hashtag you can. <laughs> no, go she more. didn't. No, she did not. <laughs> um, what I thought was interesting was because, um, you know, it was part of a – it's on a piece of land. Uh, and as I understand it, the the house was built – there was maybe – Four or fives, just four or five others, just like it, just right next to each other, and obviously those other ones are all gone, and but the Elvis I'll home is preserved there. One, yeah. So and I thought, well, why wasn't this just knocked out long ago? I mean, no one knew until a good twenty years after he. Well, let's see, he left when he was three years old, and so a little less than twenty years later, he becomes famous. And how did this survive those years? Yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. just dumb luck, really. But if you know there's pictures when Tupelo, when Elvis does his big homecoming show, you know he's got that that heavy velvet shirt that his mother made for him. It was daytime in July. I mean, it's just <laughs> and it was it was really hot in Tupelo on the day I went. I bet, there. Mother, I it's bet it's really hot. Um, and um, she said, "Well, you know, it was still standing when he came back to do that show. Uh, I believe it was in July of '56. Um, he had he went earlier that day. He went to that house to see it." And he found, and Elvis found out that it was for sale. So the show, the gig he was doing, and by all means, please check my facts. Anybody, you can write in. I am sure I am getting something wrong. Um, That the show he was doing was a benefit for the city, I believe, and so he told the city, "Buy that house. It's for sale. Buy it." You know, just and then so it became protected really early in his career. Is my Mm. point? You know, Um, and, and thank goodness. Thank goodness. And I would understand if it had been knocked down because cities change. Developments happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, but oh, and, and then the the church where uh, he and his parents, the first church that he went to, um, that was also preserved. And it was mo- it was, you know, was at a different location originally, but they moved it over. So it sits next to the childhood oh, wow. home. Okay. Now, so you can go inside there as well. That's cool. Um, and and see where Elvis most likely got extremely important inspiration Uh, on how to perform live you know there's a lot of stories about the preacher oh yeah and just the way command of a room the command of a room Mm -hmm. uh so it's it's pretty exciting to see you know you know ground zero as it were in the story of elvis uh yeah i always get very very moved uh thinking about elvis but when you actually go on his on the actual terrain where he's been it yeah it makes it so much more real he was say i was I was about to turn four when he passed away. So, you know, I don't really have vivid memories of Elvis in my lifetime. Mm. So it's all retrospect to me. Uh, and, you know, this, it's, it's great to see the relics. It's yeah. great to hear the story. <clears throat> I agree.
2: There will be peace in
3: Sadness, no no sorrow sorrow and
0: agony, no My friend Tom Zimney is uh, putting together a an Elvis documentary for HBO. Oh, really? That I believe is supposed to be timed for. I haven't seen any announcements lately for We're it coming up, but it should be coming up. I believe it's to surround the 40th anniversary of his passing it's next month. Yeah, um, a few weeks. But again, like yeah, it's just a few weeks away. But I, I haven't seen any advertisements yeah, yet, so, so I'm not sure if it's it. if it's on schedule or not. But um, I'm thinking we should probably be able to get Tom to talk about it when the time comes for that thing to air. That'd be great.
1: I have many more questions for Tom Zimney if if we do get them, so. (laughs) Right. I bet you do.
2: (laughs) Hi, this is Cindy from Dead Rock West. We have a new record coming out called More Love on August 11th, and we're really excited that Dave and Eugene are going to play a song or two for you guys. And we'd also love to see you at McCabe's on August 11th for our record release show. Thanks a lot to everyone who's listening and wishing you all more love.
0: That was Riverview Fog by the Sadies off their new Yep Rock album, Northern Passages, a fine, fine album uh, from the Yep Rock label who is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, believe it or not. I can't believe that. Yeah. Uh, Ahead of that, you heard uh, Dead Rock West uh, with their new single, Boundless, Fearless Love. Off their new album, More Love, coming through Omnivore Records. And thanks to Cindy Wasserman for the intro there. Uh, Cindy and Frank and the whole gang in Dead Rock West are going to be doing a record release show at McCabe's Guitar Shop, Legendary, in Santa Monica, California on August 11th. You will not want to miss this. The new album is produced by John Doe. Um, who Cindy has been singing with on John's solo tours for for many years now. So if you're a fan of John's, you know who Cindy is, and you should know who Dead Rock West is. So uh, go out and see them. I'm going to be there, and I hope to see you there as well.
1: You know, I want to uh, ask you something. And, and uh, you know, when we, when we first started doing the show, as we talked about it for a month or two, I I was kind of adamant that I wanted to avoid um, a few things uh politics being one of the main ones, yeah, uh, I agree I'm just and, and in fact, we wanted to do a show in which we didn't alienate anybody so right. so as sort of a as sort of one of the ground rules of our show that we gave each other is we don't uh, even, you know four episodes in, maybe people have noticed that we don't really speak negatively about any specific musician or any specific music because mm-hmm. that's not what we wanted to do. There's a, just enough negative noise out there, right. and hopefully this is sort of a calm little respite uh, with with some good tunes thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, having said that, uh, but this is also about what what do we learn via music? Um, so, I think we could do this conversation without getting into specific politics. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also we started listening to music at a very young age and it influenced our lives in many ways and it's unreasonable to think that it didn't have an influence on our politics at some point in our lives right. it may not now so i ask you do can do you, do you you know has music influenced your politics and if so how um
0: i don't know if it's specifically influenced my stance on anything mm-hmm. but up until maybe the age of sixteen, music was nothing but fun, nothing but tunes and great-sounding and music and just a good time, for the
1: most part, right? Can I stop you there? No. So, up, yes. but do, were there songs that you had heard up at that time that you now know had a political angle or information, but you just didn't recognize it yet?
0: Yeah, there were certain like. Uh, you know, patriotic songs things like that that i i knew were out there and th- those certainly didn't like have their foot in any one particular corner but no, for nice. me that uh that was sort of the middle ground where i just felt we should always be you know mm-hmm. patriotic like not slamming anything just not rec- like, recognize just let's make things happen okay. and let's take the whole group forward and okay. so my political views weren't in in any cement yet okay um and they they still can change mm-hmm. I've noticed in my lifetime i've I've gone here and there, sure, but uh when I turned sixteen, as I've mentioned before, my first big rock concert, my first real concert was Springsteen at oh. the Coliseum in eighty five at the tail end of the born in the u s a tour and Bruce obviously has some opinionated songs on on politics and, and and social justice and uh I won't say that all those songs uh have Changed the way I think about things, but by the time I reached sixteen, even going back the year previous, there was the uh, I believe the September '84 Ronald Reagan uh, speech, the, where he actually referenced, you know, this great patriotic young man in this country.
4: America's future rests in a thousand dreams inside your hearts. It rests in the message of hope in songs of a man so many young Americans admire, New Jersey's own Bruce Springsteen.
1: It's funny because I have seen over the years references to that moment you know, when people write about Springsteen or little documentaries about mm-hmm. and they will mention they'll mention it in a way that's sort of like, you know, even you know, he he Springsteen became so famous at that point that even Reagan running for re-election kind of co-opted Born the USA or that song. Whatever glow they got off of it. But go back and watch the footage. Mm. I'm not going to argue that Reagan didn't reference Springsteen to his advantage in that moment. Mm. He certainly did. But it's a little more of a rhetorical flourish. Reagan is in New Jersey. Um, and Reagan more more or less is more about talking about the American dream. So he's speaking in a very general way. And he talks about it lies, you know, it lies in the this, it lies in that. It lies in the hopes and dreams of many young Americans that I, and then he falls into it. And um, and then he mentions Springsteen, mm-hmm. you know, because he's in the state of this very popular artist at the time. And peep, and everyone there applauds, and he says, "Well, making and making those dreams come true is what my job is all about." So I didn't, I don't remember Springsteen or Reagan trying to get the audience to sing the chorus of "Born the no. USA." <laughs> he didn't make it a huge rallying point. I know f- quite famously, Springsteen didn't allow anybody, including oh, no. the Democrat, yeah. use right. any of his music at that uh, time. Uh, and yeah. then Springsteen yeah. did refer to it, you know, a couple of nights later in concert uh, about you know the president mentioned, but even, I think if you look at, you know, and, and so Springsteen then kind of has his rebuttal by singing a song from Nebraska and about an out of work auto plant. Right. Um, but I, I think Reagan gets a bit of a, he gets, uh, I think, I think, uh, people are a little too harsh about Reagan at that point, uh, about he he didn't really wrap. It's just a moment standing outside in New Jersey on the campaign trail, uh, so and uh, so, I just I just want to just to be fair, we look back on that moment. Okay, if you run the footage, it's I don't, it doesn't seem as gross and sticky to me in the larger context. But you know what? Like
0: as of even today, though, like the uh, around Fourth of July, there was a I think Rolling Stone put together a top list of patriotic songs, and
1: Born in the USA shows up well, in there, and it's like still. <laughs> no, no, no. OK, so it's, now. OK, so now we, we can get to the semantics of it. And this is where we lose tens of listeners. Tens. Did we have that? We, we should crack open the dictionary and talk mm. about what does the word patriotic mean? Because I understand the general idea of what we mean when we say patriotic. But and, and Rolling Stone could have gotten this wrong. It's quite likely, let's face it. Uh, it is one of the. They should have a. a I'm sure he should be at the top. Born uh, in the USA, should be at the top of the list of most misinterpreted songs. Mm. The song is clearly about a guy uh, in, in a bad circumstance in his hometown, gets essentially drafted, or I think he, he enlists because it's either that or jail. Mm. Serves so in Vietnam, barely survives that tragedy, comes back to his country, and can't make a decent life for a variety of reasons. And so the chorus, when he just sings, I was born in the USA over and over on, you know, on paper that in itself has a bit of pride to it. Like, or, well, no, I would say irony, but regardless, that too, yeah. so it's both. Okay. Mm. The song's trying to have it both ways. Um, maybe Bruce was being patriotic, but on a very personal level, right? Let's pay tribute to. Uh, a, a certain type of American, and there's yeah. a, a lot of them at that time and they weren't being recognized and they weren't they weren't welcomed home like the like the heroes from World War II. That was kind of what was going on. Right.
3: Um,
1: so, OK, so but and so what did you Now, by the way, yeah. not to let Bruce completely off the hook, by the way, because he knew full well the song was being misinterpreted. Right in front of his eyes, night after night, Mm. going in front of thousands of people. And he sang that chorus. And how many people threw their fists up in the air, sang the chorus along with him? How many people were in red, white, and blue? Did he gauge whether they were singing it and wearing those colors ironically or not? I'm sure he was aware that Ronald Reagan was not the only guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For sure. That was misinterpreting it. For sure. And, you know, he took some measures to address that, but they were very slight, if you think about it. Mm. Anyway, uh, so everybody, Bruce included, kind of jumped on a bandwagon at that moment. A um, lot of other angles to this thing. There was the '84 Olympics. There was there was a lot going on. Um, anyway, but so so okay. So that you just say that going back to your thing where you so going back to my, my first changed. show then. So yeah. I
0: that I I was aware of that the Reagan thing and whatnot. But then when I when I did see this show at the Coliseum. And Bruce had started playing the song War in the set mm-hmm. in '85. And he had a, a great uh, monologue. monologue for that.
4: This is for all you young people out there, you in teens. When you grew up in the 60s, you grew up with war on television every night, a war that you were involved in. And I guess if you turn on your TV now, you still see it. And, uh, I guess without living through it sometimes, when your decision comes around, you may be wondering what you should do. So I guess I'd like to dedicate this next song to you young guys out there, young girls. You don't have to fight, hopefully. And remind you that blind faith in anything, your leaders in 1985 will get you killed. And it don't matter whether it's in Central America or if you're a young Iranian or in Iraq or if you're a young Russian or if it's in Afghanistan. Because what I'm talking about here is...
3: what
0: is it for? Absolutely nothing. so the just the line blind faith mm-hmm. um I think that was the just the, the the phrase that like stuck with me like you look into it I'm just not gonna follow the light like a you know like a moth mm-hmm. uh I need to think I need to like read and weigh options oh, good. and I think that was actually when I turned 16, or when I was 16, and at that very moment, that was really when I sort of opened my mind to where it's really up to me. It's not just following the popular vote, uh, what all the cool kids are doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. or, the, or the cool adults. Or the cool adults, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, we were still idolizing and looking up to people mm-hmm. and just following what the mature advice seemed to be. Yeah. But yeah that was kind of when it dawned on me like well yeah in a couple of years I'm going to be casting my votes and i I need to make it An with informed some, some value sure. yeah informed yeah so that's that for me kind of started my political thinking well, thank you
1: that's great yeah i uh same thing on some level I guess it just kind of slowly started to seep in and by by the mid eighties or so, I started to listen to artists um uh, well some of the police songs. The song's by the police, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, Sting was get, get awfully professorial in his in his lyrics. Um, but I remember getting an album. Oh, and I think I bought it only because of the collection of artists that were on it. Uh, so it was an a- Amnesty International album. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think that it may have been called A Conspiracy of Hope, I think. And uh, I, Sting was on it. He did a cover of Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a lot. And, uh, Peter Gabriel's song Biko, Biko was on mm-hmm. And that's just the first time I was aware of, I'm sure I came across the notion of apartheid in South Africa. If it was on the nightly news, it didn't register. And then this guy writes a song about one person. And, uh, usually I think that's what happens, right? With With politics is, is we have a you know, things are in this larger theoretical context, and then someone tells you the human story and how, of how politics are are playing out. Yeah, and it becomes easier for us to understand. That's just the human condition, and music usually does a better job, I think, of of engaging us when they do that on the personal level. As Springsteen tried and Born in the USA. Yeah, and
0: that's the thing too. You mentioned uh,
1: <clears throat>
0: you mentioned apartheid, right? I or Amsterdam. Okay, the the Sun City record. Okay, was another thing that <clears throat> was was thrown on the radar for me, and I think it was the video mm-hmm. for that. That uh, the the footage they were showing within that. It wasn't your typical MTV <laughs> fair, <laughs> yeah, you know.
1: That's true. <clears throat>
0: so again, yeah, seeing actual footage of situations that are going on that are in those lyrics in that song. Mm-hmm. It's not just a tune you're cranking while you're driving. Right. This has a story behind it, a real story, and here's some real visuals to go with it, mm-hmm. and. That started happening more and more going yeah. forward. I noticed in, in I
1: saw. I remember years ago, a, MTV had a rockumentary uh, on uh, on REM, and it was funny because they're showing. There was Michael Stipe was, you know, by himself, he was talking about some political cause, and then they cut to, I believe, Mike Mills just saying, "Well, I don't know if, if uh, people should really get their politics from music because." In my experience, most musicians I know aren't that well informed to begin with, and so are you going to take lessons yeah. or texts from them? Um, so that always stuck in my head as well. Uh, but um, and and nowadays, of course, there's probably a lot of politics, or we're going to get a lot more politics in our music. I would assume, yeah. Of course, in hip hop, there's there's always been; it's always been there. Um, and uh, um, anyway, like I said, I don't I didn't want to get into it too much. I just was kind of curious as to how. How it how it influenced your politics without you having to name too specifically? And I think I think yeah. you pointed out it it made you engage and and for me I I would I think more often than not a topic would a political topic would come up and then I just sort of think oh yeah well what's going on with that you know yeah, even that uh, drive by truckers record from last year points wonderful out great yeah songs. and the the thing I got from that and that clear that may have been that may have been just my favorite album of the year that's pretty damn good um was that to hear. Yeah, I think that's I think I I think that's what I really loved about it was just hearing a straight up rock album, a very Neil Young. Yeah. You know, feeling rock album kind of report on the news of the day, which rock and roll did for a brief moment. It seemed like a lot of our rock songs were ripped from the headlines. John Lennon specifically would do that a lot. He would in that period where he was just whatever he read in the in the paper that morning. That's a song. Yeah, what Attica State and uh, all, that those, whole and- some uh, sometime in New York City mm-hmm. uh, era, um, and then. But I think I think I think rap and hip hop took that mantle. Where again, if you go yeah. back, go back and listen to hip hop from any year previous <laughs> to this one. The, the cultural references. Uh, there's pop culture references that are so specific. Yeah. It's, it's music of the moment. That's its main purpose, and that's its, uh, you know, that's, that's its vocabulary. And it's funny because if you go back and listen to a rock song that'll name drop something from the exact moment, somehow it sometimes feels a little awkward. It's like, oh, that's so dated. Mm-hmm. But then if you listen to a rap or hip-hop song that does it, it makes you smile. Because it, it for some reason that genre gets away with the the nostalgia right. thing somehow just in a better way. And no rock can do it. Um, anyway, I don't. know. I'm swimming away from the topic here. But here's the th- this actually brings up another thing to my brain though. Because uh, what did I? There's certain song titles slash album titles that get repurposed, and then I don't know if they were repurposed on purpose or not. Uh, Tunnel of Love. Tire Straits had an album and song "Tunnel of Love," and then only five years later, Springsteen has an. makes it the title track of. No, mm. uh, yeah, one of his albums, right. Um. So, Dave, yeah, what's the title of the new Lana Del Rey record? Lust for Life. Correct. Is there another album we know of? I think there is. Yeah, I so, think the Beatles uh, had <laughs> uh, in, no. Since so '77, <laughs> Iggy Pop had the album and song "Lust for Life." Um. And like I said, I like to think that she is referencing that, or or she's aware of it, and she's like, yeah, it's fine. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. run with that. Uh, Springsteen grabbed a lot of song titles from Chuck Berry. We mentioned that before, right. and 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 it's it's fine. I have no complaint against it. But my point is, or do we get younger artists who just? You know, maybe they got it from the novel Lust for Life from the 1930s, and and she doesn't even know that there's a rock album already called that. Or they're just taking it at face value for the phrase. I mean, even. It's a great phrase. How how about the the variety of uh, song meaning in all the versions of Wrecking Ball that are out there? (laughs) Yeah, okay. That's (laughs) another good example, right? Uh, There's certain phrases that exist, and they're they're all for the taking. And Mm -hmm. I would venture to only listen to it once, but the, the Lana Del Rey album doesn't really. Resemble the Iggy Pop album in any way other no, than the title. No, um, but but my point. I just was wondering if there's a lot of young artists and they just use. They may not know, and it's fine. It's fine, uh, uh, the, but I think she also has a. Does she have a song on the album called "Heroin"? Uh there's a song on this record called "Heroin."
0: Yeah. Does she
1: know? Now we got Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, very related. Yeah, are these coincidences? Maybe, maybe her her does dad's record it?
0: collection was pretty
1: cool. And she spent some time flipping through the bin. You know what? Let's go through that. I, I like that. I'm going to go with that story. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to ask her, and I don't, want to, I don't want to know if anybody has asked her. I like my own. I like that answer right okay. there. Okay. I love it. I love it. You know, she's looking through there. and like, Oh, this, that's a great title. Let's, let's write a song using that title. It's perfectly Every, repurpose. purpose. Everybody, everybody. Yeah. I, like I said, I like to think that everybody knows everything. What? Meaning, well, meaning. <laughs> we
2: meaning, need to get
1: those people on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned this when I was with Sean on because Sean and I would have a lot of audience participation, bringing people up on stage for various bits and stuff. Okay. And, you know, if a woman like a, you bring a woman up on stage and and let's say she's very busty. Nobody in the theater knows more than nobody's more aware of how busty she is than her. She, You know what I mean? So uh, or you bring a bring a guy on stage and he's bald. No one's more aware of his baldness than he is at that point. Mm-hmm. Point is, so if you reference the, you make a joke about him being bald or something like that, he's most likely going to go with it. And more importantly, you didn't, you didn't surprise him with it. Right. He knows it's coming. Um, you know, there's many, uh, think about jokes about famous people. You, you can assume that they know the joke about them. Nobody knows that joke more than that person hmm. you know um and so in that way when you come across an, an album or you know where they i was like oh do, do they know that there's a velvet underground song called that of course of course she knows <laughs> you know um but, but lana's an artist and she doesn't let that stop her So so what did you think about the... You,
0: you like the new Lana Del Rey. I love it. It took me by surprise. I mean, I have liked uh, a, a few tracks by her in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, the record just dropped on Friday. Um, and there had been a couple singles from it already, and I, I remember the singles didn't do a thing for me mm-hmm. when they were first floated out there, but I took the album in context in full uh, tail end of this last week, and uh, I was really... More blown away by it than I was for the New Lord record, which I put them kind of in the same vein okay. um, at this point in both of their. Well, I mean, although Lords, this is what her second That's, record. Yeah. But um, for the Lana Del Rey record, um, it's probably her most mature record, although I have to say that, um, you know, with kind of a, a smirk on my face because there are so many beautifully sung expletives on this record that she's still sort of gliding in the reckless youth part of life but some of the lyrics are tapping into um the future and and, mm-hmm. and getting older and some adult topics and she, she purposely wanted this song to sound vintage but also futuristic um sonically but also as far as the lyrics are concerned too she's been a bit of her stock and trade too yeah
1: if if, if she has a sound yeah i think that would be a good way to I,
0: I love the production on it the whispered vocals for the most part the uh, but there's a couple songs the song love is my Drop dead favorite off this record, but there, coming in, I was listening to it again, and uh, there's a song called Coachella Woodstock in my mind. That it, this kind of ties in with the political thing too, in a, in a or the social, the cultural uh, angle on things. But it's she's at a festival, at Coachella. Yeah, and there's a lot of love being shared there, a lot of feel good stuff by the masses. But then all of a sudden, she's taken by the thought of all these children in the world. That and I, I, to me, in my mind, I'm sort of painting that as like the the Syrian refugee crisis or things like that, okay. where she's suddenly thinking, well, we're here, you know, first world problems here, you know. I'm not that close to the stage, <laughs> but but then there's there's the underprivileged kids out there and their families and their parents and what what's happening with them. She actually uses the song as sort of a vehicle to bring awareness that there's more going on in life and she even addresses it herself that maybe in singing the song it can act as sort of a bird to fly a messenger to fly out to all of the listeners to maybe see if they can react as well or if they realize this is happening Mm -hmm. it doesn't it's not too heavy but it's in there and I I appreciated that I mean I looked at that as a pretty grown-up track
1: What did I, you What did you think? Have you had a chance to listen I, to it? I have. I, I I'll just say that I, I prefer the Lord album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Lord album, uh, cre- it does. It's not that it creates a problem for me, but it it's uh it 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 fascinates me that a young talk about a young artist twenty. Uh, second album. I was rooting for her by the way, because I just I, especially because Royals was I was such a um, uh, that's such a big ra- song for me. Yeah. When it came out, you know, if you think back to the time when that hit. Uh, I mean, it was a complete revelation. Um, that I associate it with the what's the uh, Gotier song? Oh yeah, I know the, the one. Uh, someone um, I I used to know. Someone I used to know. I I feel like they came or they came to my attention at the same time. Pretty close, yeah. And at that time, a lot of the big records of the day were very big, anthemic. Things were getting very large, and and in a way, um. I don't know what they weren't very specific. Um Yeah, you know, they were songs for the masses. And mm. and then these two songs come out and they're extremely <laughs> uh, introspective. Uh one, the Gautier song, is about this very private situation, right? Uh and uh uh just the instrumentation and the mood, the production was just so um i don't I just felt like it was so inward you know uh they're they're practically speaking in low tones singing speaking in low tones until they just explode with that title line mm. they just lose it right and then royals i thought was was a great antidote to to uh, i probably a lot of the hip hop that was big at the time too it was a lot there's a lot of bragging about your your wealth and, and your success and then there's this you know this this girl from in new zealand um kind of talking about the effect that that sort of stuff has on her hmm. and rejecting it or not even, she didn't get a chance to reject it. It's just saying, well, we'll have to just kind of imagine a life like that. Um, and I just thought it was a, it was, it was a great song that just show up at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so based on that, I just wanted, wow, I want her to be able to follow this up really well. And I think she has, I don't know if she has anything that'll, be as big as as Royals was as mm. a song in terms of just sheer presence. but this album is so um, it has to be listened to as an album it's I think so yeah uh, it, because it seems to me like it's it, I read it as like the a long night in the life of a young woman mm. and she goes through a lot and and thinks about it a lot it, it's a very psychological album. Um, but it, it doesn't it needs to be listened to in its entirety, um, and so do you think it's tracked like a story? Then, like a, a, a bit, a yeah. bit. I mean, you can uh, it, at moments, and I, I'll let I'll let people decide for themselves, yeah. really. But I I yeah, I feel that way. I feel that she's feeling the social moment, but she's also kind of feeling alone in a crowd. Um, I think it develops that there's maybe a memory she's trying to shake uh, over the course of this night, and um, I just. I think it's just a really well done album, but it's an album. And how many times I I know I don't sit down and listen to albums from beginning to end anymore. It's hard sometimes. Schedule wise. Yes. So I think it's just a very interesting choice that she would choose to. Now you can pick any song out one by one and enjoy it because it's Mm -hmm. produced that way. But I just think that if for it to be best appreciated, you got to have to sort of listen to it all the way through. Um, one of the things when Octung Baby came out, I was in Boston at the time and I first got it. I remember going to the Tower Records and getting it and uh, playing it in my dorm room. And I certainly knew that one was probably one of the best things they'd done up at that point. Um, yeah, there's a few songs I thought, oh, well, these are these are great. But it, it didn't nail me. Right. OK. And then uh, Musician Magazine was still in publication at the time. And Bill Flanagan wrote kind of a long form review of it. And if not for that review, I don't think I would have enjoyed that album as much as I, I came to enjoy it. And one of the theories of that album is that it's also kind of happening over the course of a night. It's a guy whose marriage has, has ended and he just kind of goes off on a bender Mm -hmm. and for uh, real or imagined. I don't know. I think that I think maybe the edge was going through something and, and, and Bono kind of, was inspired lyrically. Okay. Um, but, uh, even if it was just, even if Flanagan completely made it up, it helped me. It gave me a peg in which to hang. Good. Good. Yeah. My appreciate it. So, um, and so listening to this Lord album, thematically, I thought about acting baby sound wise though. If, if there are any fans of Kate Bush out there, you might want to check this out Mm -hmm. because that's it. I, and, and I don't, I'm not that familiar with Kate Bush's material um but enough to to kind of remember the uh the the production values and things yeah. but and specifically, I think it was the background the way lord she the way she uses background vocals um the way they're layered and when they show up and how they're used I just I just kind of felt like there's a very Kate Bush thing going on here I say that right yeah so that. so anyway, so I, I do advise people should check it out um and uh you know if you like the single the, the lead off single which is called green light then you'll most likely be able to sink your teeth into the rest of the album. And by the way, the album is called Melodrama. So mm-hmm. if it seems as though I'm making too much out of it, just <laughs> Big hint. It's called Melodrama. <laughs>
0: I got to see her, uh, I've seen her twice now. Uh, oh, yeah? Once at the Greek, out in L.A., but the first time I saw her was before the the record, I believe it was before the first record came out, just before, and Royals was already, or maybe there was another single before that. She already had some hype going on. Mm-hmm. There was already a single that was killing it, and it may have been Royals, um, but we got to see her at The Echo, which oh. was just, to, and uh, to see her in a small venue at... What was she? Eighteen at the time, yeah. maybe. Uh, actually, maybe even seventeen at that time, I believe. Uh, they just played as a trio, mm. and uh, I don't think I'd before seen a drummer play with. Is is it V drums? Is that what they call it? like the, uh, sort of the electronic drum set? Sure, of course. Or they're basically bashing on um, heavy rubber, you know, <laughs> cymbals and all that. But that with the sounds that are coming through or whatever, the you know, the, yeah, the yeah, trigger triggered sounds. And I'd never seen that before. And it was just, I found myself like staring at the drummer through most of the night, like, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And those three people making this sound and the one pr- providing the voice is 17 years old. Yeah. And uh, this new record sounds a little dancier than the first record.
1: Yeah. Production's Which not I too
0: like. different, but a little, yeah, a little dancier. But then, like I said, you know, she's 20. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: <laughs> that's well, not. That's also uh, why I, I put it, the narrative. It, it, a lot of it happens out, you know, club hopping mm-hmm. and the music is. Yeah. It's the soundtrack to that. That's to right. That night. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, and then another uh, album that we listen to is the new Lucas Nelson, which you. Yes. I recorded it for. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. <laughs> which you're going to take
0: credit for, apparently. No. <laughs> no, there's a new record coming by uh, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I, Gene and I had a, uh, a, a fresh early listen on this thing and, uh, I absolutely love it. There's a, a standout track. I believe it's called forget about Georgia, which is a really lengthy, uh, kind of a tune. So it's probably not going to, you're not going to hear it on the radio, but, um, live this thing ought to be killer because there's a, a great, uh, guitar part near the end where they kind of just get a little psychedelic and sort of branch out a little bit, but the, the lyrics are fantastic, referencing playing music with his dad night after night. And he's got some fun tunes on this record. And he has a re-record of uh, Set Me Down on a Cloud, which was my favorite song off the previous record, which didn't get a lot of heavy circulation, which I think is why they dropped it on this one. And
1: isn't it the le- I think it's the opening cut, is isn't it? it? That one's so good. Too. Yeah, no, it, it's great. I love it. It's a groove album. It seems like it's mm. really, really based on groove. And then, of course, Lucas has a unique enough voice. Um, it's not that he sounds like his father I think he has his father's vibrato. But man, have
0: you heard? Have you seen? Like on, uh, I think you may put him on YouTube as well, but Facebook and whatnot. He'll he'll sometimes record a little uh, acoustic of sure. him playing one of his dad's songs, like on the tour bus or whatever. And my God, I mean, I could close my eyes and it's pretty darn close. Well, he's see, got that nasally thing, and I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if any of the other kids have that because I don't know if I've heard them sing
1: well a- Amy Amy doesn't but she she doesn't <laughs> or, or Paula frankly they, yeah. they, but, you know again they're, they're female voices and yeah and yeah I, obviously their dad would be an influence but um but obviously Lucas it's it's such a great band and the production you know uh well you're right uh forget about Georgia long mm-hmm. track he's a great player so I'm glad that there's kind of a he, you know get some space to go at, at but the, also but also you know um uh, Die Alone, a really short song, hmm. but but appropriately, so I, that's, again, it's an early cut on the record, really great groove, just the groove is so good, that is such a good rhythm section, and he sings around that pocket so well, and the song doesn't overstay its welcome, I think he has a really good sense of, um, in fact, I don't, who produced this, do you know, I, I, haven't oh, that looked into I, it. I don't know, but, but whoever involved did a great job, uh, everything musically goes where it, feels like it should go so there's a so there's a lot of in, intuition involved in this mm-hmm. record uh, or just people who've studied all the great records and you know kind of took that in
2: for each night i stand with my father playing our music we cry out her name and her memory under the lights and each night i pray forget about George. she'll never love me like I know love's
1: supposed to be Looking back, because uh, I was reminded of, of uh, you know I was going to ref- reference one of Willie's records, uh, the Teatro album. Oh yes. So uh, I feel like there's very lanois-like things going on here. And yeah. then as I thought about that, uh, it also occurred to me the Not Dark Yet album. Which is the duet album with Shelby Lynn and Alison Moore. Mm. Where again I thought, oh yeah, that kind of reminds me of what's the Emmy Harris album that uh um that Lenoir produced yeah. Wrecking Ball? Oh, that's Wrecking Ball. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's it's Wrecking full Ball. circle. Full circle. So to speak. Um <laughs> where I think I think Lenoir's production on we'll call it Americana artists has left a bit of a vampire bite on Americana in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where um, you know, just sort of long, long reverbs and yeah. lots of vibrato yeah. and those things, and kind of understated drums. They created and and um, it's how long ago did that? Wrecking Ball. Album, I mean, we we're like twenty years, twenty five years on. Emmy uh, Lewis and Wrecking that, Ball that. was about ninety five. Yeah. So yeah, I just uh, it's one of those things where I think that Lenoir's influence on American just. Kind of via, especially the *Wrecking Ball* album, probably. But it seems like a real go-to move on a lot of a lot of stuff that I hear in the genre. Yeah. Looks like the new Lucas record is produced by John Alagia, who has
0: worked with Dave Matthews Band and John Mayer. Oh, okay. So he's worked with good guitarists. And uh, like I was about to say earlier, is like I actually the first time I saw Lucas play live was when uh, I saw uh, the Knitters open for Willie Nelson and Family at the fair in Orange County. Uh-huh. Um, I forget what year that was. It doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, later during Willie's set, he starts bringing some of the kids out, mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is how I keep them out of trouble. I give them a little <laughs> gig here playing. And so he asks Lucas to come out. And I, uh, Lucas may have been 16 or uh-huh. seven. I don't know how old he was. He was pretty darn young. And he comes out there and uh, and he takes on Texas Flood. and and i swear to god he nailed it like move yeah and he didn't disappoint he actually pulled it off so i I knew he he was talented uh uh as a player for sure um but now as a songwriter i think he's really picking up a lot from what he's learned from his dad and from the genre that he's been exposed to
1: all of his life yeah i think it's fantastic and uh so so we'll slide over to the Shelby Lynn, Allison Moore record called Not Dark Yet. Yeah, and I haven't Dark had a chance to listen to it yet. What oh, can you tell uh, me? Oh, Dave. <laughs> I know. Time. Time is the enemy. No, I know, no, I know. You're going to love this album so much. Um, I, listening to this album, I was like, "What? why'd this take so long? Like, it was sitting right in front of these, <laughs> these two sisters who are tremendous singers, great artists in their own right, obviously. And just like, I mean, I like, it never even occurred to me, like, hey, it'd be nice if they did an album together right. until there it was. <laughs> and... um Uh, Produced by Teddy Thompson. Oh yeah, Uh, Richard and Linda's. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, What can I say? I I just I want them to to quit both of their solo careers (laughs) and do this. Do this. You know, in in my alternative reality, like right, they would have always been a duet team. They would have come out as a duet team, Mm -hmm. and they would have done like a bunch of theme albums, but like they did back in the day. You know how like uh, you know like you know, I don't know what they'd be called, you know, Shelby and Allison, let's, let's just say that's, they're called, uh, yeah. Yeah. Shelby and Allison hit the road and all the songs are traveling <laughs> songs, you know, they're all like the, uh, the road movies by, uh, like, like, but yeah, Crosby. Crosby and hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Sinatra did it. Ray Charles did it. But sure. you know, Glenn Campbell, right. you know, they just all those theme records. Cause they can just sing almost anything. Yeah. Uh, and, and sound great. Now I'll start with the great uh they do merle haggard's silver wings the best and yeah and they treat it it the format vocally feels like an everly brothers tune okay uh because you know silver wing starts with chorus verse chorus musical interlude verse go back out on the chorus much like a lot of everly brothers songs do so they sing the chorus as a duet and then one of them steps up to sing the verse, right? It goes to just one person and they, they go back to the harmony on yeah. the chorus. So it's funny because like, you know, that format, whether you're thinking Ever- Everly Brothers at the time or not, mm-hmm. you kind of, you, you come to expect when the harmony is going to come in, when someone's going to sing on their own. They do a, a beautiful job of, of sharing vocals in, as individuals or coming into harmony. Um, tons of great songwriters represented, um, the as you know, we always mention Jason Isbell at some point. There's a song by Jason and, and his wife Amanda. Oh, wow! Uh, on the record, there is obviously Bob Dylan, they sing the title track is Not Dark Yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a Leuven Brothers tune, Every Time You Leave. Uh, there's uh, a Brandon Flowers from The Killers. Well, oh, this wow. on my list. Uh, there's uh, a Jesse Coulter, uh, Towns Van Zandt, uh, Nick Cave, and also this guy Kurt Cobain. Never the songwriter Kurt them. Cobain you ever heard of him? Nope. Yep. So this is interesting. So they do Lithium, which is happens oh. to be one of my favorite Nirvana tracks. Nice. Um it's a tough one. It's a tough one. As a melody, it's not really built for harmony and they 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 take their best crack at it. It couldn't have been hard, easy to do this one to sing it. It's a very hard yeah. song. Um but it but it uh it got me to thinking about Cobain as a songwriter that it seems as though you know time has passed since his death and of course Sturgill uh covered one of uh covered a Nirvana song on the, on the last record mm-hmm. yeah he does in bloom um and if you notice like any press on this on this Shelby Moore, Alice, or I'm sorry Shelby Lynn Allison <laughs> Moore album uh, you know uh, everyone kind of leads with this cover of a nirvana song like that's newsworthy and now we're 20 years 20 plus years on yeah. now mm-hmm. from cobain's suicide and at the time you know kurt's voice and his life were so tied into that material um that it as big as nirvana was at the time it's not as though people immediately started covering nirvana songs right, right away Uh, I think because his personality was so built into the material. But now with this time separating now, where I think people just kind of look at the songs as standalone songs and are willing to, to tackle them. And also it takes a little time to get that original singer's voice out in a way. So you can give it a fresh approach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was back to the Willie Nelson thing. You, you sit down, try and sing a Willie Nelson song. It's a little hard at first not to sing it like Willie to Nelson. Sing it, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> um and, and maybe the set, uh, the same can be said for Dylan, uh, Bob Dylan, as much mm-hmm. as he has been covered. I think it was Elvis Costello had pointed out. He's like, he hasn't been covered as much as you would think, considering how many great songs he's written, but it's just hard to divorce his singing voice from the material, you know? Um, but uh anyway, I was just wondering now are there more I don't even want to say Nirvana covers because that seems like they're trying to cover the band. Are there more Cobain covers out there that I'm I, that I'm just not aware of? I, I I want to say that there was a Tori Amos
0: cover, but that might have been prior to his suicide hmm. too. I'm trying to think what it was. Um I don't think there's as many covers out there
1: as there Maybe should be or will well, be. The, I think they might be coming. Of course, the the two the two that I cited exist in the Americana slash country world, mm-hmm. which I think is why it might be noteworthy because you you know just people don't associate the two genres, grunge and country music. It, but then, of course, we have well in Sturgill's case, it, it's it's generational. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, in the case of of Shelby and Allison, they're, they're older than Sturgill, but I think they just kind of came across it just it just appealed to them. Um, I don't know. There's probably a backstory there, but but it's a wonderful album. Mm. Um, so so far it's one of the best albums I've heard all year. Just oh. it just musically, just sit back, let it go. Because neither of those voices are going to go wrong. Uh, they're so good. Um, and I've been a fan of both of them for so long. Yeah. And then there they and like oh, well, finally, there it is. And I so I hope there's more coming cause oh, I, I look forward to this thing. It's, it's 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 tremendous. And I wasn't aware of the
0: Teddy Thompson uh, production on it, and I absolutely love him. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great music out. This it's been I this has been a wonderful year for new music, and there's still a lot more to come. Um, I've made a little list of stuff that I'm looking forward to. Hey
1: everybody, Dave made a list.
0: I'm gonna <laughs> look what I can do. Uh, some stuff I'm really looking forward to that's on my radar uh, for August 2017. Of course, the uh, aforementioned Dead Rock West album, More Love, which some of those songs have been uh, road tested for the, the last couple of years at yeah. least. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Uh, great songwriting. There's a new, um, uh, I think it's like two albums being paired together by Richard Thompson. They're solo acoustic records. Uh, one is called Acoustic Classics Volume Two, which is a follow-up to a previous collection he did. Maybe not uh, that different from that Jeff Tweedy record, where he's pretty much doing solo acoustic interpretations of older material. Uh-huh. So there's volume two of that, but then there's a second disc called Acoustic Rarities, where he's maybe doing the same treatment, but on stuff that you would not likely hear or haven't heard. It may be Fairport Convention stuff. Well, he has the facility to do
1: any song. Yes. uh, You know, as a solo acoustic performance, because he's... And it's mesmerized. (laughs) Yeah, it is.
0: So, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, There's uh, new Iron and Wine uh, Willie Watson uh, from Old Crow Medicine Show. I'm mm-hmm. actually, I'm doing an interview with him shortly for Discussions Magazine. In September, uh, there's a new record by a noise rap group that I've always enjoyed called Dalek. Oh, I don't know that. Um, they'll be on the Spotify playlist, so oh. check that out. <laughs> I guess I can go to
1: thejukeboxgraduate.com. The, ju- the well, I'm doing com. the thing, don't interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can go to the JukeboxGraduate.com and follow the link.
0: Yes, Mr. Shatner, you can. All right,
1: continue. <laughs> continue with your list.
0: All right, I made a list. Now, check this: September, new living color.
1: Hmm. Wow! Brought really? to you by Sanka. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> no, you know, it's brought brought to you by Donut Friend from around the corner. Yeah, I r- Tell us, us a little bit about Donut Friend Donut and Friend why we is, would mention it on this show. Because they they have a bunch of alternative rock names for everything on their on their menu. <laughs> I don't know if I brought you new television or. <laughs> White Stripes Donut, but yeah, they, 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 have, they, get, they have a lot of fun stuff with that. So they're, they're not a sponsor, but I'll name that, drop the, Donut th- Friend, over on York Boulevard. <laughs> uh, new records
0: by The National, Sparks, Ringo Starr. There's a new uh, Cat Stevens record. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris Hillman's got a new one. Sounds promising. John Langford. Luna has a new album and a new EP. And one of them is like an all-cover thing. And speaking of Dylan Probably earlier, they do a cover of, well, there's both. There's an EP and an album. I'm not sure which one's the instrumental one. Oh, I thought you said all. Cover. Oh, there's an instrument. There's an all cover and an instrumental. Okay. I don't know which one's which, but they do a cover. Uh, and I haven't heard it yet. They do a cover most of the time by Bob Dylan. Great song. One of my absolute favorite. Well, it's funny because
1: most of the time, and not dark yet. Those are just really special, special songs. Me, but I'm sorry, And continue.
0: that's a, that's a Daniel lenoir produced album. Yeah. Uh So, uh, Van Morrison has a new one coming. Uh, October uh new records by uh Liam Gallagher and is it Donnie Harrison? Danny? Yeah. Uh, Do- I've never gotten this
1: a- uh, Donnie. George's son has Donnie. a record come George's son. Don- <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, well, that's a t- that is a tough god. You know, Sean and Julian uh you know, Jacob Dylan just oh, what a <laughs> tough, <laughs> tough yeah. I mean and Lucas it's Lucas, Lucas Nelson, but I think the number one though is really it's Jacob Dylan. That that just takes such wow! And and then to succeed, but, but has he be has, so good? Has he, he maybe
0: become the most successful next generation artist? Um, I don't know <laughs> since the fifties and sixties. Oh no, we just we're just not bright enough to think of someone. Or else would would uh, Hank Williams Jr. have maybe
1: done yeah, that? He had tons of hits, and he had. Yeah. A long, I, I just I just think that it was just such a. Man, that's really laying down the gauntlet, being Bob Dylan's kid. Yeah. Just saying, yeah, I'm going to be a musician. But Dad! No, but no, I I, think, I just think it's just kind of a... And, and then, by the way, not just to become a musician, because he could have become a film composer, he could have become, uh, you know, a classical violinist, but he becomes a, a singer-songwriter in a rock band context. Wow. Yeah. It's like, hey, I can fit in those shoes. Maybe <laughs> uh, it's just that's a tough deal. At least and I give him uh, a lot of credit because he excelled at it, you yeah. know. Well, at least like Stella McCartney went into uh, she
0: went, she into, went fashion, into fashion, yeah. Right? So, and she's very successful in that, so she didn't have that stigma of like
1: being compared to the well, well accomplishments. I think the, it's, you know, the Frank Sinatra Jr. thing again, it's just like, and then the, it just and that's even worse because you got the name right that's, oh my oh Maron. that's that's a that's a rough one so okay great so uh sorry so but donnie harrison donnie harrison yeah, has, i don't know anything about the new record but okay. i'm
0: interested the final greg allman record is oh. going to be coming in uh the fall uh and then to be announced albums by beck mm-hmm. uh broncho possibly a joe grushecki album there was that single with bruce that came it was out earlier in pittsburgh in uh, yesterday i think that's that's where he always is right? <laughs> pretty much Shacky, yeah uh there's a new johnny marr album oh good uh there's talk about a new bob seeger and the silver bullet band album mm-hmm. which would be great and then of course a springsteen record possibly apparently there's at least two or three in the can he's just waiting for the time and how he wants to present it and i don't know you may have heard about the uh the broadway news <laughs> no
1: what okay <laughs> i know nothing about broadway. wait what I'm just not a Broadway guy.
0: I haven't listened to E Street Radio in the last couple weeks. I don't know if they've even mentioned this, but there are the rumors out there that Bruce is about to book a number of consecutive weeks on Broadway to where it would be like a spoken word type thing. Like reading from the the Born to Run book and then grabbing the acoustic to add to the storytelling and accents and things. But nobody's confirmed this yet. But yeah, so there's a lot of, speaking of the pipeline, there's a lot of uh, good stuff coming still. And this has been one of my favorite years for new music in, in at least five or six years. It's been so strong.
1: Yeah. So nobody has any reason to complain about music these days because there's plenty of it out there. Not it's today. good. Uh, we just have to know how to, how to try and find it. And, and we And we try and help.
0: All right. uh, There's a little segment I wanted to do here, a little label spotlight. Uh, A friend of mine, Dave James, uh, who runs Noise, Noise, Noise Records, a a label, uh, he actually has a record store uh, called Factory Records in Costa Mesa. You heard from him briefly in episode two during our Record Store Day segment. He's got a little label, uh, and I, I always love to support the indie labels and their efforts. Um, he's got a new, uh, a new release that just came out, and I got a little bit of a, an interview clip with him in the shop. Here's what he has to say. Okay, I'm with, uh, with Dave at Factory Records, who uh, started up a label called Noise, 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 correct? That's it, yeah, named after my old store that was across town from 1991 to 2006. When did the label start up? Uh, last Record Store Day was our first release. Okay, and how many releases have come out so far? We've got two, and we've got two on deck, hopefully, to have out by the end of the year. And what can you tell us about the newest one? Uh, this is Andrew Lyles.
1: He's a, a guy that works with Nurse with Moon, current 93. It's just really weird, esoteric kind of, uh, it's a mix of, like, avant-classical, glitch, industrial. Uh, it's weird if uh, there's like simple <laughs> word to describe it, but it's amazing, too. It's one of those records that's just sonically amazing that you really want to turn up loud on a, on yeah. a really good system, and it's,
0: it's a trip. All right, so let's hear a track from The Unimportance of Being Earnest by Andrew Lyles.
3: Lover.
4: You know you could run rings around any of them. bloody
2: well care if it's improper or not. I think you know I'd like to do anything you ask me to. any of them. I don't have a lover. chosen, I choose, and I'm not interested in anyone's taboos about age. I wanted you the first time I met you. I'm not anyone's toy.
4: You know you could run rings around any of them. I'm not any
2: and mm-hmm.
0: That was Daddy by Andrew Lyles off The
1: Unimportance of Being Earnest, a vinyl only released through Noise, Noise, Noise records. It reminds me a friend of mine once said, the only thing I hate more than cynicism in my music is tons of earnestness. <laughs> <laughs> now that, tr- that track, it's,
0: that, that whole record's a little creepy. It's just kind of like a, and I mean it in, know, a, in a great way. I it's, know, you
1: know what, because I, re- I don't know if, if he references but it reminds me, in terms of the creepiness of some of the stuff by uh uh Alan Vega uh, suicide oh yeah 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 it's yeah like, and, and of course that's a long of course uh Andrew's track is pretty long but a lot of those suicide tracks are like, like it takes time right, right it takes time to Frankie build. Teardrop oh, is like up God. there too right so, you know there's a challenge um, that uh, uh, Tom Sharpling does on the best show the challenge is you have to sit in a completely darkened room and listen to all of Frankie Teardrop like that's just that's the challenge <laughs> can you can you do it. Yeah, this uh this track in particular, it just um oh this is God. how is Frankie Teardrop I, gonna be on our playlist now because we I mentioned it? Yes. Okay, so look. <laughs> There's <laughs> no limits gonna, on the playlist. I know, but if people go to the playlist and they I just wanna warn you guys, if you've never heard of the band Suicide, if you've never heard and or the song Frankie Teardrop, I'm just it's like uh it's like a am tr- trigger warning, all right. Just if you see that one <laughs> pop up, I'm just just be prepared. That's all. And we will and, and, and leave the lights on. Yes. But this track
0: by Andrew Lyles, if I was to describe it using sort of mashup terms, this is what I came up with. Put on Brazil, turn the volume down. The the film Brazil. The film Brazil. Terry Gilliam. And what you're going to hear is sort of a mix between Trent Reznor meets
1: Eartha Kitt (laughs) with the visuals of Brazil. Oh, my God. You know, I had a first date (laughs) years ago. (laughs) Um. Quick word, yes. uh, I hate it. Uh, the end on a down note, so I'll, I'll try and spin this with some light at the end. But while we were on the road, a few days ago, we got the news about uh, about Chester from Lincoln Park, right? Right, and uh, uh, one of my associates worked very closely with him, knew him very, very well, and it was it was a uh, was it was really hard on him because he he loved the. Guy. I always heard really lovely things about Chester, and. Uh, and then, of course, it was it happened on we don't know if it's coincidence or not, but or I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but it was also on the what would have been Chris Cornell's birthday right and then so and yet again, I have another associate who worked uh, with Chris pretty closely and and it was hard on him uh, uh, so I had you know, and I didn't know either Chester or Chris I never met them but but I knew how much those two guys meant to these two friends of mine. And so the discussion of, of depression and suicide and those things have, have been in my, in my circle, you know, um, and it's hard to relate. It's, it's really, really hard to understand. I when I was younger, um, I didn't understand it. And so I think I, m- my misunderstanding was usually I just coupled it with some sort of insociance or sort of, well, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but hopefully as I get older and I get wiser, um, I do, I think it's the fact that we don't, we can't, we can't, you know, cause that's what he says. I don't understand the fact that we can't understand. That's your answer right there. It, and, and, um, thank goodness for those of us who can't understand, uh, cause hopefully that means that we're, we're safe from, from taking what mm. someone said is the, uh, you know, it's the most long form solution to what's a temporary problem. Um, so for any of you who, who, who knew Chester and Chris or anybody who's lost somebody who took their life at their own hands, uh, uh, I, I feel for you. Um, and, uh, it also, I noticed that, and I, I'm not saying that this is related in any way, but it's in my brain. It was, I saw that Justin Bieber canceled his upcoming tour right. mm-hmm. and everyone's getting a full refund Um, he didn't say exactly why he's canceling it. And I don't know why he's canceling it and, and whatever. And it's none of my business why he decided not to go out there. Uh, but I just thought to myself, if, if he's going through something, uh, on a personal level, I'm glad for him that he didn't take himself out on the road, put all that pressure on top of what he may be just, you know, yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, I, I just, you know, I kind of, I, I give him credit again. I know nothing. I'm speaking kind of, of course, complete yeah. naivete. Yeah. But if, if he's having a problem with something, tr- <laughs> the road is not the place to to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, I'm just asking people to maybe just hold back on the judgment, the personal judgment, so much. Um. Let's put it this way: we hear stories uh you know just sort of there's various eccentricities that certain stars have and and you know movie film you know actors are are very similar same and you know smokinggun will get a hold of a of a writer like a contract writer or something like that, and we'll see what people ask to have in their dressing rooms and mm-hmm. and people like to to poke fun at it and and what have you um But here's the part, if you want to do that, if you want to snoop around in other people's business, I can't prevent you from that. But I'll ask you to throw this in there. To be a celebrity means that there's a business side of it. And the part that the audience doesn't see is the part where you're, I'm sure you're on the phone with agents and managers and and producers and whomever. And at some point they have to discuss you and your value on that day. Practically a commodity. And you know, we all have jobs. But it's for the most part in our lives, it's the task that has the value. And then we are the person who performs that, that task. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't speak about your value. But in their world, they do. Mm -hmm. and just as I kind of feel and there's many people who've written about this like with social media I don't know that as a species we haven't caught up to technology yet emotionally where I don't think we're meant to know what everyone thinks about us and is saying about us (laughs) behind our back and all of a sudden Facebook and those things they they, they put it all in front of us we're not equipped to handle that Um, it's kind of related to the same thing I don't most of us aren't aren't built to to hear ourselves being discussed, or our monetary value as an act, though by the way, but it's hard. I'm sure it's hard not to personalize that. Um, I think I don't know who it was. It was an old saying about show business: is they want the greatest actor of all time for the lowest price possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if just kind of just kind of a a thing, just for sheer humanity, just for our own souls' sake, to keep it a little clean or balanced. I know it's it's easy. We, you know, and the part where they say, well, they asked for it. You know, they they worked hard. They want to be a celebrity. And this this comes with it. I, yeah, I, I have no argument. I know. But the fact that they have ambition and talent um, and have achieved something, I don't know that I don't know how much of that is supposed to diametrically erase our empathy. Or right. sympathy. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, I know that's a down note, but I just kind of want to just put that out there um, as, as part of my student or being a jukebox graduate. Uh, and as something I just kind of thought about specifically in the past, uh, well, a couple of months, really, um, that uh, let's, let's just go easy on each other. You know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of negative noise out there. So let's let's go easy on each other. And, you know, there's always donuts. And then there's this. What you
0: got? If you have an iPhone, yeah? Check this out. What? I see a little silhouette of a man.
4: Scaramouche, scaramouche. Will you do the Fandago? Thunderbolt and lightning.
3: Very, very frightening me. Galileo, 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 Figaro Magnifico. I'm just a poor assistant. Nobody loves me. It's just a poor assistant from a poor family spared its life from this monstrosity. Easy come. Easy go. Will you let me go? (laughs) Bismillah. No, we will not let you go. Let it go. Pismilla. We will not let you go. Let it go. Bismillah. We will not let you go. Let me go. We'll not let you go. Let me go. Never, never let you go. Never let me go. Oh,
1: so that's going to no, wrap it up for no, us here no, no, at the Jukebox no, Graduate. No, uh, no, first, I want to no. thank <laughs> Alex and Karam here at Pollywood Studios. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsor for the show, Satellite Amplifiers. You can find them at satelliteamps.com. Um, you can look up their website where all their fabulous amplifiers, their guitars, their effects, their accessories their cabinets, their shirts, their pins, pedals, etc. Please go to their website satelliteamps.com Yesterday's technology, today. And also, I'd like for everyone
0: to head over to sweetrelief.org to check out and see what you can do to help out career musicians that are uh, often struggling to make ends meet while facing illness and disability. A lot of fine artists out there that have uh, been able to benefit from the monies raised at sweetrelief.org. Also, uh, don't forget, come to our website and read our blog for every episode and other events that come up at www.thejukeboxgraduate.com. You can see the picture of my medal, and
1: my full the, house medal. You earned it, Gene. Oh, man, you did earned I earn it. that. In fact, every time I would walk around on the tour bus, and if anybody gave me any, any crap, i just, don't, look, I'm a medalist, okay? <laughs> I've been saying that for like a week, two weeks Fantastic. now. Fantastic. No, I'm so annoying. Also, check us out on Facebook.
0: You can find, uh, just do a search for The Jukebox Graduate, and uh, you'll get all kinds of regular updates from Eugene and myself. And uh, also back at uh, thejukeboxgraduate.com, click on any of the Spotify playlists from any of our episodes and take a chance, spin the wheel, learn some new music, get turned on to something. It's what it's all about. Let's go out with a quote, Dave. Do I step on the brakes to get out of her clutches?
1: Do I speak double Dutch to a real double duchess? I'm Dave Rayburn. If my friends could see me now, driving around just like a film star in a chauffeur-driven jam jar, they would laugh. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been The Jukebox
2: Graduate.